Let's uh, bow and pray together one more time. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time that you've given us. And I do pray as we look into your word that you would use it greatly in our lives. That you would sanctify us, set us apart with your truth, for your word is truth. That we would become like your son Jesus. Lord, help us to see clearly what you intended today, that you would be glorified in our response. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are many opinions throughout the so-called evangelical church, uh, mainline denominations, and other religious organizations that uh, call themselves Christians concerning how we are to act in the midst of those who do not know Christ. How are we to be in the world? You know, we've seen a lot of different changes in our world lately, at least uh, sin becoming more outwardly visible and people becoming more outwardly wicked and hostile, at least. We've seen that. And how are we to act? How are we to behave in the midst of a dark world? What are we to do? There are those that believe uh, Christians should go out and militantly change our culture, uh, expecting non-believers to act like believers, holding them to the same standards. Now, that's not talking about law and order. That's appropriate and justice. But here, causing and desiring non-believers to be and act just like Christians without Christ. Yet the scripture says we don't judge the world, but God judges the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, There are also those who might say, we need to be like the world so that we can win the world. We need to be just like them. So we need to uh, do the things they do, be involved with them in all that they do, whatever it might be, so that we can win them. But that's actually spiritual adultery. We have nothing in common with the world, and we are called to come out of their midst, morally speaking, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And there are others who say, hey, you just need to isolate just need to be separate from them. Don't ever go in their midst. Don't ever be around them. You won't be like them, like the monks or whatever. But the reality is, Scripture points out again in 1 Corinthians 5, that we cannot go out of the world. Paul didn't say, I meant you should go out of the world. But as that saying, and it's not a, it's not a Scripture, by the way, but it's a saying based on Scripture that we are in the world, but not of it, by the way. So how are we to behave how are as we'll see those who have a relationship with jesus christ to behave in the midst of this dark and wicked world would you turn your bibles to matthew chapter 5 and we're going to be looking at one verse verse 13 today and we're going to see that jesus makes it clear through his word that we are to be who we are in christ so that god will be glorified in the midst of a dark world Now, we have one message left in 1 Thessalonians, so we will finish that next week, Lord willing, and be praying for what we go to next. But I felt it appropriate to share and teach on some things that we need to be reminded of in the midst of all the things that are going on around us. So in the book of Matthew, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 13. And now let me share a little context uh, to the book of Matthew. In chapter 1, Jesus is introduced as the rightful king of the Jews. And more specifically, he is the Lord who is salvation, that he was born to save his people from their sins. And in chapter 2 of the book of Matthew, we have the responses to the birth of King Jesus, which foreshadow the rejection of the people and also the worship of those who are his. And that Jesus fulfills all the redemptive prophecies. They all point to him. He is our only true hope, and although the world would despise and forsake him, he would sovereignly bring about forgiveness of sins. And then in chapter 3, we see that we have the way prepared uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ through John the Baptist, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then amazingly, in chapter 3, we see Jesus Christ being baptized. Although being the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, he identifies with sinful man whom he came to save. And thus we have the declaration from above concerning the person and work and worth of Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm 
well pleased. Then in chapter 4, we have the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Spirit of God leading Jesus into the the barren wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil. We see that. And then Jesus, in his humanity, although being fully God, in his humanity, took on the full force of Satan simply by understanding, believing, and declaring the truth of God rightly in its context. Then Jesus began his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles, fulfilling prophecy that a great light had shone in the midst of spiritual darkness. And we see that. And that Jesus fulfills the prophecy, enlightening spiritually the blind. They saw a great light drawing near. And the light of Jesus and his word pierces the darkness. Then the end of chapter 4, we see four fishermen respond to the call of Jesus to follow him. Yet in contrast, the crowds followed Jesus not for his preaching and teaching, but for the healing. Then we come to chapter 5, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, or the Teaching on the Mount. And beginning with the Beatitudes, those statements which speak and describe those who are truly blessed, they reveal the lifestyle of those who are in the kingdom of heaven, those who have been saved. Those who have been saved. Then the Lord Jesus graciously comes upon the Jews. Comes upon the Jews who thought they were saved and laid forth his kingdom, righteousness, upon their hearts. But so we have the purpose of the Beatitudes, uh, those statements uh, that reveal that someone, what someone who is truly saved looks like. Those blessed statements, they reveal the character of those who are kingdom citizens. And Jesus lays those across to show those who thought they were who they really are in light of those who are really his. Those who are really his. They reveal the lifestyle of those who are truly his. And it's from this point, the Lord Jesus jumps forth into another set of statements regarding those who are blessed. He talks about those who, as we will see, who are blessed, but yet are in the midst of persecution and an ungodly world. And how are we to respond? So how are we to act in the midst of an ungodly world? Again, Matthew chapter 5, 13. I'm going to read 13 through 16 because it all goes together, but we're not going to have time to to look at the other portion, but it all goes together. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Jim, can you close that? Thank you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it again be made salty? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city cannot be a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they shall see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven tremendous portion of scripture and here we have two declarations concerning believers true believers and how they are to function in the midst of a dark world and today we're going to look at the first one which points out that we are the salt of the earth and indeed we're going to see that our righteous behavior or his character in us is the means in which a sin corrupt world sees uh, his and tastes his righteousness Again, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. It's a very uh, strong statement. So now before we begin our portion looking at this, we need to understand and ask the question, who is the you spoken of here? Remember back in verse 11, the Lord Jesus changed who he was speaking from, from the third person, blessed are they, and back in verse 11, he too, blessed are you. And so he's been describing the character of those who are in the kingdom, and then he points, I believe, to his disciples, blessed are you, those who are truly his. Look back in uh, verse 11, blessed are you, verse 11, when men cast insults 
at you and persecute you. He had been saying they, blessed are they, blessed are those, blessed are you. And say all kinds of insults against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. He is obviously speaking to those who are of the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking to believers here. He's speaking to believers. Blessed are you. And even later on in verse 16, in a parallel portion, he says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, they have a relationship. You see, when we trust in Jesus Christ, uh, we enter into a new family relationship with God being our Father. We are now his children. We used to be of the devil, you see. We, ent- we leave that spiritual family. We are delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. You see, before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were of Satan. We were in his spiritual family, just like those in the world. John shares, Jesus shares this in John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, because the Jews were saying, hey, we believe in the Father. He's our Father. Now he's going to respond to them. He says, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me and so he is speaking here the lord jesus not to those who don't know him but to those who do because they believe they have a relationship with him they are in the family of god they are those in the kingdom they're saved and so how are those who are saved to function in the midst of a dark world he says this declaration you are the salt of the earth it's a pretty simple statement. It's, uh, it's continually, habitually, uh, present tense. You are continually, habitually the salt of the earth. You are. That's what you are. You are this. If you say you are a pastor, you are a, a truck driver, you are this. This is what you are. He says you are this. You are the salt of the earth. Now, what does he mean by that when he says salt of the earth? Because obviously he's talking about salt. And there are many uh, ideas out there, and many have written all kinds of discourses on what, kind of, what did Jesus mean concerning salt here. But I think it's a very simple analogy, because if you look at this idea of salt back then, um, it, it could be a few different things, but I think the analogy the Lord Jesus shares here is very specific. Now, back in the day, their day, salt was a very valuable mineral, and it was needed for survival. And it was also a sign that someone was prosperous. Indeed, the Romans would pay their soldiers in salt. You know that term. He's worth his salt, right? A valuable mineral. And why was it valuable? Because there was no refrigeration and salt would preserve meat that would spoil. It would inhibit corruption. That's one reason. But secondly, salt was used to flavor or season food, as we'll see today. And so the salt was very, very valuable. Now, some people say this is speaking of, you are the preservative of the world. Now, the reality is, yes, the Spirit of God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is keeping this world from totally falling, going to hell in a handbasket, right? The Spirit of God is inhibiting uh, evil through the body of Christ, inhibiting corruption in a sense. But yet, is that what he's talking about here? Is he talking about the idea of corruption being inhibited, or is he talking about something else? Notice he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Well, the reality is, this idea of salt speaks of flavor. He's going to say later on, if the salt becomes, what? Tasteless. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about you are the anti-corruption reality in the world or the earth. He's saying you are the flavor of the earth. You are that which flavors it. And he's going to say later on, if it becomes tasteless, obviously he's speaking of flavor here. 
Now, so he says here very simply in this analogy, the blessed ones, those who are manifesting the character of Christ, you are the salt, he says, of the earth. And later on in parallel, verse 16, or verse 14, excuse me, he will say you are the light of the, the world. So the earth is speaking of the world here. Now, the Bible has much to say about the world, and we'll look at it. But the world is used in Scripture as a term uh, that consistently identifies those who do not know God. Those who live by their own standard, set within their own lusts and desires. Uh, the Apostle John points out the mindset of those in the world. He shares how the world functions and operates. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, he says, is not from the Father, but is from the world. That characterizes the world there. The lust of the eyes, what we want, see what we, we want, what we see. The lust of the flesh, our sinful flesh desires. And then we have uh, the boastful pride of life. I did it my way. It's all about uh, pride and, and life apart from the Lord. And the world is passing away. And also it's lust. It has to do with desires. But he says here, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. So the world consists of the unregenerate, the unredeemed, those who are not born again, those who are not saved, those who function based on their own wisdom, lusts, and desires, rather than the will of God as revealed in the word of God. You see, the world is corrupted by sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were all part of the world, by the way. You see, man apart from God is separated. The wages of sin is death. And the first paycheck you get for sin is separation from God. The last paycheck you get is the second death, eternal separation from God forever in punishment. But the wonderful thing is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Notice that he loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 and so Jesus makes this simple statement with a simple analogy, you are the salt of the earth. But what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, as I've shared, notice, look at verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? The analogy is flavor. You are the flavor of the earth. Just eat your eggs without salt and then put some salt on it. It flavors it, doesn't it? Right? The reality is we are the salt of the earth. And notice what he says. And actually, turn to Colossians chapter 4. We have this same uh, idea of salt being a seasoning in terms of our behavior and as, in terms of our actions. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. That's non-believers, by the way. Making the most of the opportunity or redeeming the time, literally. Let your speech always be with what? Grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt. So that you may know how you should respond to each person. You want to know how to respond to non-believers? With grace. That's how you'll know, right? Let your speech be seasoned with salt. And we believers so often are so uh, repulsed at the sin that we see that God has delivered us from that maybe we don't do anymore. And we're repulsed at that, but then we treat people uh, very badly. We need to recognize there's the sin and then there's the sinner. The sin is wrong and evil and bad and, and condemns. But the sinner needs a Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? So then, I believe that this passage, back in our passage, is speaking of that which seasons, which brings flavor to a corrupt, sin-sick world. You are that which flavors this sin-sick, dark world. Now let us not forget uh, here what preceded verse 13. Remember, Jesus has just finished those beatitudes, those statements concerning those who are truly blessed 
And remember, those statements speak of his righteousness, his character being manifest in us. That's what he's just spoken of. And then he talks about that same character being manifest in the light of persecution. Look at Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for what? For the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What about 5.11? Blessed are you when men cast insults and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. The reality is... It's on account of Jesus living his life through us that we are able to do what is right. And when his righteousness is manifest in our deeds, we will be persecuted. And so as we see in contrast, the flavor, the seasoning that seasons this corrupt world is the righteousness of Christ manifest in us, which will bring persecution, but it also might cause them to glorify God who is in heaven when they see your good deeds. Indeed, we see that. Look at uh, verse uh, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's the righteousness of Christ manifest in our behavior that seasons a sin-sick, lost, dark, tasteless, in terms of righteousness, world. By faith, we are to allow Christ to live his life through us. And we will bear fruit. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5.8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, or of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. His righteousness and his truth and his goodness is going to be manifest in us. We are the salt of the earth. It doesn't mean that we are out condemning everybody. We share the gospel. The gospel condemns but also gives the opportunity for salvation. Let God be the one who condemns. The Lord is the one who judges the world. We share the good news that there is a way out from sin. That there is a way out from the judgment that is coming. There's a way out from God's wrath which is coming. And that's through Jesus Christ. So then you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt as we see in, 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 in the world. You're the only practical taste of righteousness, true righteousness, that the world will ever see. There are righteous deeds out there, a little are righteous in a sense. But you're the only taste of his righteousness they will ever see. Now we have all sorts of spheres in which we entertain, and and not entertain, that's a bad word, but in which we are in the midst of the world. You have uh, non-believing relatives. You are the salt in those relationships, right? We have uh, those we meet uh, on occasion as we just go out into the world. We have our work relationships. We have all those different things. School, whatever it might be. You are the salt of the world. You are. And in parallel, we appear as lights in the world, as we're seeing in Philippians chapter 2. You are present tense. This is who you are. It's not that you have to be that. There's those songs on Caleb, make me salt, make me light. No, 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 no. Stop me from sinning so that I, I am who I am. Help me confess sin so that I will be who I really am. Right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And folks, as the salt of the earth, Christ also uses us as a platform to bring about the gospel, the good news of salvation. And he does that in the context of doing what is right, opening doors for the gospel. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. He's going to talk about behavior. And this is why we need to be really careful in this time of political upheaval. And it's political evil, by the way, you know. We need to be very careful because there's a lot of leave out there and we want to go do something about it. Yes, we do need to do something about it. We need to pray. We need to pray first and foremost, but we need to be godly in our responses. You can speak the truth and still be righteous and godly, by the way, and good. Jesus was a perfect example of that, and that's what will happen when we abide in him. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior. Ah, lackadaisical, not so great. Excellent. Excellent. Is your behavior excellent at work? Is your behavior excellent around your non-safe family? Maybe it's the real young kids? Is your behavior excellent around your unsafe spouse? Is your behavior excellent at work and school? Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That's a slang term for non-believers. So that in the very thing which they slander you is evil. They're going to slander you. Remember Jesus said just before, they're going to cast insults at you because of me. It's going to happen. So that in the very thing they do, they may account of your what? Good deeds. As they observe them and glorify God in the day of visitation. And that could be speaking of the day that he visits them in salvation. You know, when people are mocking people for their behavior, which will happen if you're a Christian, when they come to faith, they immediately realize that mocking was wrong. And they glorify God for what that behavior did, how God used that. They glorify God in the day he visits them. What about chapter 3 of 1 Peter? Chapter 3, look at verse 12, 1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. That's really important. You do what's right, he's on your side. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of what? Being a sassy Christian? Righteousness. Doing the right thing. That's, there's grace in that. There's truth. There's kindness. There's respect. There's honor. And yet there's truth within that, right? He says, even if you... He says here... He says... Uh, find that again. He says, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But instead of that, instead of fearing and getting upset, do this. But sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart. Set him apart as the Lord. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who what? Asks? Yes. It's not running around throwing the gospel over every corner. Everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. You see, our behavior is very important. Although they will mock us for it, God uses that to shame them, that they may be saved, that they may trust in Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining or grumbling and disputing. Do everything without grumbling and disputing. Where do we grumble the most? Well, certainly we grumble in our families. We grumble... uh, at school or church, not church, I didn't grumble at all, but uh, grumble different places, grumble at work. We're to do all things without grumbling. Don't grumble. He says here that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Don't complain and grumble because so that you will demonstrate yourself to be who you really are in the midst of a dark world. Don't sin so that you are who you really are. Confess sin when you do. And what about a little further in Matthew? Go back to Matthew chapter 5, 13. I don't want to read 13 through as we keep going here. Same, same principle. You are the salt of the earth, but the, if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing. It's set to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand. And it gives its light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way, in such a way, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. The plain reality is this is who you are if you're a true believer. Now there's a warning here because the salt can be, as Jesus will say, become tasteless in the world. Notice what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless. 
This statement gives the real possibility, it speaks of an action that's completed. This is not a good contrast, but if the salt has become tasteless, it obviously speaks of losing its seasoning effect, losing its flavor. And in context, obviously, the salt becomes tasteless. It's talking about our behavior in the midst of a sinful world. Now, you might, if you read the commentaries and all that stuff, you'll probably hear the unbelieving chemists say, well, the Bible's wrong. Salt cannot become tasteless because sodium chloride is always sodium chloride. You know? Well, the reality is he's talking about the salt they used in those days. He's talking about a normal analogy, and it used to be mixed with alkaline and other things in that day, and then it would, or gypsum, and it would become alkaline, and then it would lose its flavor. The bottom line is it can become tasteless. So it's an analogy. Now, is he speaking about losing salvation? Some people say that. If the salt becomes tasteless, it's trampling our foot. Maybe you lost your salvation. Well, first of all, if you're truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Now, you can have a, a, a faux salvation that, that appears to be lost when you turn away from the Lord. That's not losing your salvation. You never had it. This is talking about uh, the reality that... Uh, you can become tasteless as a believer in the midst of those you're around. It's a very serious thing. Who is the salt of the earth? It's believers. It's the blessed, right? So the, full, the reality is a believer could become tasteless in the midst of the world. You see, the world, and what does it mean to become tasteless? What does that mean? Well, the world is tasteless, Right? The world does not and cannot act righteously. The world cannot do good for, apart from the living God. As Paul would say to the Romans in Romans 3, there are none righteous, not even one. There is none who does good. Jesus would say in Mark 10:18, no one is good but God alone. It's only those who have a relationship with him that can do good deeds from his viewpoint. So how does a true believer become tasteless? Obviously, they become tasteless when they become like a tasteless world. When the righteousness of Christ is no longer manifest in the midst of a tasteless world. Now, the earth and the world are parallel. We have that earth in verse 13, world in verse 14. And what's the world? I shared it earlier, but the term world is, comes from the Greek word cosmos. We get our word cosmetics. It speaks of order, arrangement, adornment, or decoration. And to understand the world, you need to understand the ruler of this world. It's uh, Satan. Satan is the ruler of this world. We have uh, John 12:31. Now judgment is upon the world, and the ruler of this world shall be cast out. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That's Satan. That's Satan. So then God has sovereignly allowed Satan to be the God of this world for a small time, for a temporary time. But yet, don't forget, 1 John 4, for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And we know that God will soon crush Satan at our feet, Romans 16. So then the term the world speaks consistently with those who do not know Christ, as I mentioned before. The earth and the world here, in the way it's seen, consists of the unregenerate, the unredeemed. And the world and the unsaved do not have the Spirit of God. Jesus talked about that. He said, I'm going to send another helper that he may be with you forever. That's the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive. John 14. And so worldliness is how the world operates. And now we think of worldliness as all the big sins, but worldliness is man's self-sufficiency, a lack of dependence on Christ. It is man functioning by his own desires and wisdom, which will manifest in behavior. We see that in James 3 and 4. So how can believers lose their flavor? By becoming conformed to this world in your thinking and then your behavior. By thinking and acting like the world rather than being transformed by God through his word. When you start to act like the world, you op you're operating on the world's wisdom 
rather than the Word of God, when you depend on your own strength, when you simply live by your own desires rather than God's will revealed in the Word, you will not manifest the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, in respect to righteousness, you will become tasteless. And I'll explain the behaviors that follow that. And actually, let's look back at the Beatitudes, because if we look at this again, we see what his righteousness looks like, and then by contrast, we'll see what worldliness looks like, by the way. Go back to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how do we become tasteless? True believers are tasteless when they are no longer spiritually bankrupt before the Lord, when they're self-sufficient. True believers become tasteless when they are hardened, no longer mourning over their sinfulness. True believers become tasteless when they, in the midst of a hostile world, cease to be gentle based on submission to God. True believers become tasteless when they cease to hunger and thirst for righteousness. True believers become tasteless when they cease to relate the great mercy they have received in Christ who brought them salvation. True believers become tasteless when they are no longer pure, allowing their hearts to be stained with sin and impure. True believers become tasteless when they seek, when they cease to seek peace and pursue it. And true believers cease to be persecuted because they have become tasteless. There's a very real possibility because of sin that the righteousness of Christ will not be manifest in your life and you will become tasteless. We're commanded to not be conformed to this world but be transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of our minds. That we would prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. But when you are not renewed, you prove uh, something different. You demonstrate something different. And there are so many exhortations for us to not walk in the manner in which we used to walk. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, I say, therefore... And affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Don't walk like non-believers anymore. And he explains it. In the fut- also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every evil kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, which was tasteless, by the way, manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Turn up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Because we've been raised up with Christ, we're to seek the things above, set our mind on things above, not of earth. Because we've died and our life is hidden with Christ and we're going to be revealed with him. Then notice what he says in verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked, and you were living in them. And now he's going to say the actual practical manifestations of those things. You say, oh, immorally, all this stuff, oh, I don't do that. Well, he's going to say the, he's going to say the manifestations of it. But now, verse 8, you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self and its evil practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed to the true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. The reality is, 
we see this tastelessness is simply a manifestation of the way we were before we came to Jesus Christ. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? Now, what's he talking about? If you've become tasteless in the midst of non-believers in your life, he's saying, how will it be made salty again? The implication is it can't. It's not going to. Now, does this mean that if you're worldly as a believer, you'll never function as salt again in the world? Not specifically, but in that sphere in which you became tasteless? I think so. I think you've blown it. I think the opportunity is gone. Now, God is gracious and he's merciful, and we'll talk about that. But he says, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? What does it mean? What does it mean? I believe it's a warning that once you have manifested tastelessness in regard to his righteousness in an unrighteous world, then those who have seen it, you're, you're, you have no testimony in this unrighteous world, your impact to that point will be, as we will see, good for nothing. It's very serious. And you'll be trampled underfoot by men. Remember, the whole passage is let it shine in a way that they glorify God. Here he's saying that's the opposite. Let me give you an illustration. We have an uh, evangelical church that's uh, very worldly at times. By and large, many teach- churches have false teachers or are led by false brethren or deceived brethren. They fill themselves with non-Christians and worldly believers. And the world sees that, that they're just like them. What an absolute shame. What about in your family? Are your actions indistinguishable from an unbeliever? I'm not talking about occasional failures. We confess we will all fail. We all mess up. I'm talking about exhibiting effectively a life that is no different than an unbeliever. What do I mean by that? You're angry. You don't confess it. You complain. You don't give it to the Lord. You worry. There's no true repentance, no contrition that's seen. There's pride. There's unforgiveness. You rely on self all the time. Well, if you're a true believer and that's going on in your life, God's going to spank you and discipline you. But the sphere in which you are, which is your family, which is very important, you become tasteless. You wonder why some kids turn away from the Lord. Well, they see a tasteless parent. It's very important. Do not lose your testimony by becoming tasteless. Confess before it's too late. Get on your knees and repent. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's, it's gone. Your, your testimony is gone. It's very serious. We're going to fail in our families. We're going to fail with our, in our work. We're going to fail in different places. Confess it. Seek the forgiveness of Christ. He who confesses and uh, turns finds compassion, right? And forsakes. Serious stuff. Do you live like the world? Maybe you're not saved. But if you're a believer, if the world is crept in, you function by your own wisdom. You just go to work and do your own thing. You don't trust the Lord. And then you, get, and you fail at your work. Guess what? People look at you. Christian, huh? Hmm. Look, what, look how you work. What a work ethic you have. How's it going to become tasteless? Taste, how's it going to become salty again? Some of you need to do some confessing. We all do at times. And notice what he says. There's devastating consequences. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing. The purpose that the Lord brought you into those relationships is worthless now. Good for nothing anymore. Except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You see, this has far-reaching consequences. Jesus is saying, if you're like the world in regard to righteousness, you're good for nothing. It's very serious. Brother and sister, listen clearly. The worldly believer is good for nothing in this world. 
I'm not talking about worldly in the sense of, you know, the things we classify as worldly. Those are manifestations. I'm talking about the behaviors of righteousness, which we talked about. Salt that is not salty is useless. It's thrown out because it's not fulfilling its intended purpose. And when salt became that way, they would just throw it out. They'd throw it on the road, and people would just step all over it. This is an analogy. He's saying when you become worldly, your testimony before those around you is totally destroyed. And from God's standpoint, you are worthless in that testimony. It's useless. Now you might be saying, I'm a sinner. I've totally blown it. You blew it with your kids. You blew it with your work. You blew it in different places. Just confess and be forgiven and ask for his mercy and grace. Because we all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. We're all going to sin. But believers are the confessors of sin. They're those who are acknowledging their sin. They're not staying in it. So you get angry at work, confess to the Lord and those around you and respond rightly. Whatever it might be. Now, although the blatant sins of immorality and those type of things render us good for nothing, you see that on TV lately with certain people, right? Just being worldly in terms of your attitude, not trusting Christ, having a bad attitude. If you become tasteless, you're good for nothing. Let me give some more examples. We're all tempted to worry at times, and we all fail at that. We do. But we should be going to the Lord and giving it over to him and praying. But when we continually habitually worry and those around us see it, do you think your testimony is, is, is a good testimony for Christ when those around you see you worrying? When you know the God of the universe, you say you know? What about coworkers around us? Have you become tasteless and useless? What about the one who's lazy at work, who does his work in a negligent way and suffers the financial consequences? Everyone knows you're a Christian, yet you complain about your finances. Every non-believer around you goes, that's the result of your choices. You're, you're tasteless. You become useless. It's very serious. What about those who go to the world to deal with difficulties medically, whatever it is? They certainly got to go to the doctor and understand that. But some type of condition, whatever it might be, you get the world's wisdom on how to deal with it. The world has its fixes for those psychological parts of those physical things. The world has its fixes. And the world sees you. You're no different than them. You're the same as them. It's not Jesus getting you through. It's your pills getting you through. It's very serious. And the people that see us the most are unbelieving family members. It's for those little kids that you need to be very careful of who are not saved yet. I'm not saying we don't make mistakes we don't conf- and we confess those. Yes, we do. But if you're living a life that is consistently, habitually worldly in the context of anger, worry, lack of trust, uh, strife, whatever it might be, it's very serious. You might find yourself in a place where your testimony is completely worthless and trampled underfoot. God's warning is right now. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Do you see why it's imperative we need to be renewing our minds? You see, we're not to be conformed to this world. You see, if I just allow the world to function, I'm going to become like that. I'm going to start thinking that way. I need to change my mind by being in the Word of God. And changing our mind often comes with confessing because my mind was wrong. Lord, I'm, I'm wrong. I wasn't doing the right thing. I was responding wrong. He forgive me, Lord God. And he forgives us. Because we will fail in that. But it's imperative that we are renewing our minds, that we would prove what God's will is, not prove something and demonstrate something different. Do you want to be useless, good for nothing? 
Start trusting in your own self and your own wisdom. Lean on your own understanding. Plan your life your own way. Just get up in the morning and go your way that day. Don't rely on Jesus. You'll find yourself good for nothing over time, by the way. And you'll be trampled over foot. It'll be trampled. Your testimony will be an ugly thing. Sadly, there are a lot of useless Christians out there. Don't be one. And if you have failed, confess. Confess to those you've failed and be forgiven. We serve a God who forgives us. If you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. All righteousness. If you failed with a spouse, whatever it might be at work, just confess and start fresh again. Pray for God's mercy in those relationships. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So then we are the salt of the earth. Let Christ's righteousness come through in your life in every area confess when it doesn't because we are the only taste of his righteousness a dead and dying world on its way to hell is going to see so then we've seen that we are the salt of the earth now there's some of you here today that uh, you've never manifest the righteousness of christ because you don't know jesus you may think you're a Christian, but you've never truly trusted him. You don't rely on him. You don't miss this tastelessness as your ongoing reality from day one. The Lord's gracious, and he calls upon you to come into his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And there are some today maybe who have become tasteless or on the verge. You've been a certain way around your family for a long time. You've been a certain way around work. There's consequences. Maybe you have tasteless areas confess and become who you are be who you are and don't allow it to happen again in any other relationships pray that god might repair those out of his grace and mercy he's a gracious god and then all of us need to recognize we are the salt of the earth god has us here for a purpose for a short time we need to remember that let's pray okay Dear Lord, I pray that we would be useful to you and not good for nothing. I pray we'd be useful for you in the church. We'd be useful for you in our families. We'd be useful for you at work. We'd be useful for you in the school. We'd be useful for you in the world. Lord, I pray that you would help us recognize when we are becoming tasteless, when we are becoming like the world, and that we would renew our minds and so prove what your will is in our lives. Thank you that it's only because of Christ that we will flavor this world in any way, shape, or form. Help us to abide in him completely so that you'll be glorified. Praise in Jesus' name.